In the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, the scripture says, And he shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that he be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And we have seen images of so many different kinds of wars and rumors of wars all over the earth. But what I want to speak and share with you is about something that I consider as daily battles that many of us are engaging, if not all of us, and we are not totally aware of it. It is called the unseen war, the never-ending battle for the souls of men. This battle is essentially between God the Creator and Satan the Deceiver, with humanity, you and I, caught up in the middle. Good versus evil and humanity is the reward. So join me as from the scriptures we seek to unravel the fundamentals of our fate and our destiny as we become engaged in the unseen war. This is happening to see our friends at the Laramie Church of Christ where I'm a lay minister and I worship and of course your partner in health, prosperity and happiness, Andy's personal development. Stay tuned for part one of the Unseen War. Morning, morning, morning to the house of faith. And it is indeed a wonderful thing to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We are truly privileged and blessed as His people. And we should ever be thankful for His goodness and His mercy. We know that His mercies are new every morning and it endures forever. We have been studying the scriptures for a while and looking at different aspects of the scriptures as it pertains to our lives individually and collectively. If you are tuned into Church Media TT this morning on YouTube, you would have seen Brother Wendell focusing on the powers of demonic activity. And how we should arm ourselves against those powers that truly exist in the world, not just today, but from a very long, long time ago. The important thing here to recognize is that whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we understand it or not, every single day of our lives we are involved in spiritual warfare 
Sometimes we may not even see what is happening because before it takes place or manifests itself in the physical realm, it takes place in the spirit realm first. The spirit realm supersedes the physical realm. The other important thing to recognize is that if we are involved in warfare and we are soldiers in the army of Christ, we must know who the enemy is. It does not make sense fighting a war, Brother Rodian, and you don't know how to identify the enemy. Immediately you are at a total disadvantage. So the question is, how do we recognize spiritual warfare that is being waged against the church? Because it is Satan's duty to so do. And mind you, he does this 24-7. There's no rest. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, that the thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy. Steal what? Our joy. Because if he steals our joy, then he has an opportunity to come in and replace it with something that is contrary to the will and the word of God. And so he can divide and conquer. Kill what? Kill our hope of eternal salvation. You see, once we live without that indelible thought in our minds that after this we are going to spend eternity with the Lord in a place that is more glorious than this that is prepared for us if we lose that thought if we lose that vision if we lose that understanding if we lose that sight then our ability to comprehend our future in Christ is compromised and as a result the devil or Satan himself can make us feel as though it's not worth it. Why are we going through all this persecution? Why are we going through all this struggle and this discomfort and this pain in the name of the Lord? We know that we are Christians and the world know that we are Christians. But it seems as though on many occasions that the odds are against us and the battle is not being won by those who are in Christ that's not true but for every battle there is a season we'll get to that in a moment destroy what destroy the body of Christ and the reason why he wants to destroy the body of Christ, Brother Frank, is because the body of Christ represents the kingdom of Christ upon the face of the earth. And remember, he hates God. So those that represent God, he will hate them too. That means you and I. I want to give us an example, and I don't want to stray far from what we have been looking at. We have been looking at the role of the family we looked at the role of the man and we looked at the role of the woman still looking at the role of the woman in Christ in the family 
as God has intended it to be for us. But I want to look at the aspect of living a spiritual life in a physical body. But from a spiritual warfare perspective. I want to look at a young man by the name of David. And the reason why I want to look at David because I think it is the most perfect example of someone who understood that despite they were involved in warfare, the difference was that their faith in God to provide the correct weapons give them the ability to overcome the enemy who seemed for the most part to be insurmountable. You can ask questions or pause for comments at any point in time. I'm not preaching a sermon. This is Bible class. I'm sure that you're aware of that. David, as a young man, was the youngest of the sons of Jesse. And as a result of being the youngest, one of his main responsibilities was to take care of the family's sheep. So he's known as a shepherd in his original instance as he is mentioned in the scriptures. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, it tells us something very important about the young man David. We know the account very well. We know it in terms of the scripture, in terms of the context of the scripture. We know it in terms of what happened in detail with regards to his experience when he went out he was sent by his father to bring news and to give support to his brethren his three elder brothers in particular who were involved in the war against the Philistines fighting under the command of King Saul The scripture describes the battle scene as one being in a valley where the army of the nation of God, the children of God, was on one side and that of the Philistines on the other side. But what is amazing about this is that despite there were two armies standing against each other, the deciding factor with regards to the state of mind of each army was based on the intervention of one man and one man only. Nine foot six inches Goliath. Brother Andy, what do you mean by that? Well, the Philistines felt that they were invincible and unbeatable, Brother Garcia, because Goliath was. In the physical that is. Stay with me now. On the other hand. The nation that represented God. God's chosen people. They were full of fear. Even though in the past. God had given them victories. Over their enemies. At this very moment, at this instance, 
because of the formidable stature of this man Goliath and his attitude towards God's people one which is of total disdain they were full of fear and they could not go up against the enemy question have we found ourselves in that situation at times where the challenges that are coming to us that we can see with our physical eyes seem so insurmountable that our hearts are filled with fear see here's the thing there's nothing wrong with being fearful fear is a normal human feeling and we are all humans we are in the flesh despite the fact that we are Christians it does not mean that fear will not touch us we are not insulated against fear affecting us but the question is when the fear comes how do we respond church that's what makes a difference how do we manage the fear that we feel on the inside when we look at the situations when we look at the circumstances when we look at the height and the depth and the width and we are thinking my god how can i get through this situation how can i overcome this trouble it may be in your job it may be in your social life it may be at school it may be in your neighborhood the neighbor next door giving you thunder but something that the enemy has pointed in your direction seems to be insurmountable i hope we do not respond like the nation of israel did you see they were not only fearful but they were deeply affected by that fear so that they could not act and their minds could not bring them back to a place in the past where they remembered that God had delivered them from battles in the past and is the same God that they serve and is the same God that could deliver them in this moment in this battle but because of the numbing effects of the fear they could not see a way out why am I spending so much time on this it is because I think it is necessary for us to understand our place in Christ in the spiritual battle. We need to understand what is behind us. Who is backing us? Who is representing us? The term that we should use for the mighty God of war is Jehovah Gibor. G-I-B-B-O-R. Translated, it means... The mighty God of war. So despite the fact that Israel had him at their disposal, and I'm just saying that loosely, they still cowered and humbled themselves in fear towards the Philistine giant Goliath. But along came David. And when David realized what was happening, he said, no. I'm paraphrasing here, so don't say I'm quoting the scriptures. But we know the account very well, so I will not get into the actual scripture itself. He realized that something was fundamentally wrong with what was happening. Here are my people, God's people, standing before these uncircumcised Philistines. That's the word he used. Get me all excited. 
and yet they are fearful. Barapura, what's happening? They're fearful. And so he said, listen, I will take him on. The time will come in the church where we need for men to step forward and say, send me Lord. <laughs> it does not matter what the church has to do. Men will take the responsibility and say, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, I'm ready for battle. Use me. But before that happens, we must be ready. We must be prepared. Because the enemy is quite formidable. So they looked at David and they laughed. And his brothers told him, boy, go home and mind your sheep. You remember that Calypso? Drink water and mind your business. <laughs> the whole idea was simply this. You have no right, Brother Pam, in being here. You're not a military man. You're not even trained. You don't know how to use a weapon. You have not been in warfare. You have not been in battle. How can you go up against the enemy? We can't. And we are so experienced. You see, sometimes we look at some people in the church and we're thinking they're ready yet, but God knows the heart of men better than we do. And so we have to be careful how we look at our brethren, how we judge them, how we assess them. It must not be based on what we see on the outside. We need to look at them as God looks at everybody. He looks at the heart, not the physical outward appearance. And so in order to justify what he was doing, he said to them, listen, I was tending sheep and twice on two occasions, once a lion, second time a bear. And guess what? I smote them and I slew them both in the name of the Lord. He did not forget to put that part in. It was not just David talking about what he had done, but he said what I did in the name of the Lord was able to slay those that came up against what I was called to protect. And for some reason or the other, they then decided, okay, you know what? Let's give him a chance. <laughs> Sometimes people need validation before they can actually believe you can do something. You've got to remember that. The human mind is very fickle at times. And we need some level of validation so that we can understand by proof, by nature of experience, by nature of something that had happened in the past, we can then identify and say, yes, it is possible that this person is capable of doing what he or she says. But here's something that I want us to understand. Saul decided that he was going to take his armor and put it on David and give David his sword. The amazing thing about that, Brother Frankie, is that it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work is because that particular armor was not prepared for David. It was prepared for King Saul. 
Your armor and my armor are two different armors. Why? Because our experiences in the spirit and our level of faith is different. Are we wearing the same armor with the same material? Yes, we are. But because we are not at the same level in Christ, different functions would give us different aspects of the armor that we are supposed to wear. And David realized that it didn't fit. He was not comfortable. You see, if David had taken the thought out of his mind that God was in control and allowed what Saul did, King Saul that is, to send him into the battle, he would have lost. Because for that particular moment, God had something supernatural and extra in store that none of them knew about save David. So what happened? He was led to go by the brook and he collected five stones. You must say, well, why did he collect five? He only needed one to do the job, right? But suppose he had missed with one. <laughs> oh boy. You see, the thing is, when you are preparing for battle, you have to work with extra supplies. Make sure that you are fully armed and prepared, should in case there are extenuating circumstances where the battle is extended for some reason or the other, because you don't know what you are going to actually face in the battle until you get there. And so David came back. And Goliath laughed at David. He said, well, you think I am a dog? That you present this skinny, weak, inexperienced young man to come and fight? In other words, Goliath was saying, only insulting me. And as we say in modern language, come again. Only ready yet. But you see, David knew God, Goliath did not. I want to repeat that. David knew God. Goliath did not. How much do we know God? There's a difference, right? We may know of God. But how much do we know God? Meaning to say, when the heat of the battle is intense, how much do we know what God can actually do in the intensive heat of the battle? How do we assess God's ability to deliver us when the heat of the battle is raging and it seems as though we shall be overtaken? So David told Goliath who he was coming with. So you come with me or you come against me with sword, with shield, with buckler, with spear and whatever armament you have. I come to you in the name of the Lord, the host of the armies of Israel. Who do we fight our battles on? In whose name do we stand against the fiery darts of the enemy that comes to us daily? Do we fight the battles in our own strength? Or do we fight the battles in the name of the Lord? Remember I said in order for us 
to fight the battles in the name of the Lord, we need to know what God can do and we need to know what the weapons of our warfare are. Because if we don't, we shall be defeated. So what did David do? David ran into the middle of the battle and he stood before the Philistine giant and he took out one stone and his sling. The thing that I want us to observe here is that in all the scripture that we have read from Genesis to Revelation, have you ever seen one incident or incident or instance where someone won a battle with a sling? Podagasia doesn't exist, right? So, in other words, what God was saying is there are times in your battle when I will use something that you are not accustomed to using. Oh boy, so how many of us are open to that? How many of us will understand the diversification of the ability of God to change the way that he is doing things in the midst of a battle because he is God. And what he can see, we cannot see. I want to prolong this enough for us to understand the thought and the state of mind that we should have towards God's ability to deliver his people. There is nothing insurmountable in the sight of God as far as our lives and our battles are concerned. God can take care of it. God can handle it. He can provide us with the necessary weapons that we need to bring the enemy down. But we need to know that we know that we know. Like a wheel in a wheel. To understand the process of how God sees things. So what happened? David put the stone, spin the sling around, let loose. And the Bible tells us that that one stone struck this uncircumcised Philistine giant, nine foot six, in the midst of his forehead, and he fell alive. Yes, sir. Thank you. Understand what is happening. He was not severely wounded. He was not near to death. He was dead. In that instance. Biologically, the front side or the foreside of our head is called the frontal cortex. And it is the seat of all our existence, life, sense of recognition, feeling, touch, everything. So anything that pierces this in an instant, once this is damaged, that's it. If I shoot you through the heart, you still have some time to survive. If I shoot you through the liver, you still have some time to survive. But once it's the frontal cerebral cortex, this space right here between the eyes, anything that gets there, it's done. 
You see, God knows exactly where to hit the enemy. How come David didn't aim for his heart? Or his loins? Mm. When God hits the target, it is well hit. David understood who God was. He understood the choice of weapon that he needed to take. And his faith and his trust in God, he was so deeply convicted that when he let loose that stone from that sling, he knew what the result was going to be before it happened. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have in his ability to deliver us in our battles in this life. Especially the ones that we can't see but we know is raging around us. Finally, a scripture reading. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning from verse 12. I'm going to look at the NIV version for reasons of interpretation. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the NIV version. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is Paul referring to here? <laughs> it's a question. Who is Paul referring to here? Pardon me? Yep. Absolutely correct. And it says in verse 13, Therefore, as a result of this, as a result of the existence of Satan's kingdom and the works of Satan's kingdom, put on the full armor of God. But a Frankie, not part, not some, not a piece, not a little bit. The full armor. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, verse 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. As we get later into the message, the study rather, we'll see how this comes into play. 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The King James Version would say, shod with the gospel of peace or the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In addition to all this, also... In addition to all this, also, I want us to understand it in its simplest form. Take up the shield of faith. You must have a shield. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the shield is supposed to act as an instrument 
that holds the fires of the fiery darts of the enemy. That means you cannot sustain your spiritual presence in the battle, Brother Palm, without faith. Minus faith, you cannot sustain the battle. Well, Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us, for without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. So we know that without faith, God can't help us. It's impossible. 17, yes. So you that the question there a little bit. The Bible tells us in the book of James that faith without works is dead. So if I'm looking to see faith existing in someone's life, if there's no evidence, no fruit, no works, then there's no faith. Not me say so, the scripture says, faith without works is dead. So show me your faith by your works. That's the answer. If my life depicts that the presence of faith is my conviction by the things that I do, by the fruits that I produce, and it says to someone, there is something different about this man. They would not even ask the question because my works shall show my faith by the things that I do and the manner in which I do the things I do. Because remember, faith is not coming from us to the world, but it is going from us to God. And then he sends back the reward of our faith and that is what bears witness to the world. Because that is when God gets the honor and the glory. So I will know you by your works. I will know the presence of your faith by your works. That's the result. That's the evidence. By your works. Verse 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 18. And here it is, here it is. Verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on some occasions. Mm. And how many occasions? All occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I remember saying that whenever I get down on my knees and I begin to pray, I try to remember every brother, every sister, every family, even those that we may not be seeing over a consistent period of time. How are you today, Brother Pollard? It is so good to be able to get down on your knees and remember that we are not in this battle alone. You see, the more we pray for each other and lift up each other in prayer, is the easier our ability to handle our circumstances becomes. The Bible also says that the effectual fervent prayer for righteous man availeth much. So when we go to God and we pray on behalf of each other, I see a prayer for Sister Bernadette and Sister Adana and Brother Pam and Brother Frankie and Brother Kevin and all the people that I know and even those that are abroad. I pray for all the evangelists out on the field, the elders, the deacons, those that preach the word of God, those that teach the word of God. Those that are putting themselves on the line. You see, sometimes we don't know, we don't understand the battles that we are going through. Because when we come here on a Sunday morning, we look good. We look alright. We smile and we shake hands and we greet each other and we expect that all will be well, right? But we don't know that, do we? We don't. We don't. And sometimes there are people struggling because the battle raging against them is hard. They are going through their period. They are going through their time. And we have to remember that when we look at the body, we look at the church, we have to see God's people from his perspective. When God thinks about his church, it is not half the church or quarter of the church. It's all of the church that he thinks about. All of us matter. Every single brother and sister is important. We are. And we must remember each other in prayer. Verse 18 speaks about that very fervently. There is a huge correlation between what happened in the past and what's happening now in the present with regards to the scriptures. I was supposed to do what I'm doing for two Sundays, but I think this might take maybe a month or more. And I realize now how important it is to spend time in the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, and what we don't understand, we ask questions. I have barely scratched the Bible class and I have to stop. That's why I say, this may take a month or more. We'll see how that goes. But before I do that, I just have about two minutes. And I want us to understand that the moment we became Christians, the moment we rose up from the watery grave and we declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
the target was placed on our backs. Because of the fact that we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter spoke about that in Acts 2 and 38, and we received the robe of righteousness. The moment we rose up out of that watery grave, Sister Hines, Satan realized here comes another threat to his kingdom. And we were marked for death the moment we rose up out of that watery grave. He doesn't like us because we represent the person that he hates the most. And so when God looks down on us and he sees the robe of righteousness and he recognizes the spirit that is given unto us now that is dwelling within us, we are covered, we are protected. But it repels Satan. He hates us the more because we represent Christ. And so we must understand that every single day there is a plan to destroy us. We must be aware of that. Do not walk around with your head in the clouds. Or like the proverbial ostrich with our heads in the sand. This battle is real. And that's the reason why Ephesians 6 and 12 following down to 18 is so important. Because we need to recognize that we are in spiritual warfare. And these are the weapons of our warfare. What happens is that we will endure in the battle based on the knowledge of these weapons. And how we use them daily in our spiritual walk. In this life I must come to an end here didn't want to but <laughs> I have to are there any questions or comments before we close
to be in a joke, people say, Joe, what that? You're a righteous man. That people question what I do, 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 what I am born, man. I am this situation, you understand? So, so many of you really, really care for how we do it, look at the Christian life and want to do it. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Paul. Sister Bernadette. Great perspective, Sister Bernadette. Thank you so very much. We have five minutes, so I need to close. Let's go to God in prayer this time. Heavenly Father, merciful God, we thank you so much because you have been so good to us. And we know, God, that your goodness will continue to follow us all the days of our lives. We thank you that you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemy. We know, dear God, that you are able to keep all that we have committed unto you against that day. As we continue in our worship, continue with us. Help us to have the right mindset and the right attitude to serve your people and in our respective areas to do that which is pleasing and welcome in your sight. Bring an honor and glory to your name. Continue to be with us as we abide in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Men of Larmy and I have to meet at the back as we prepare for today's worship.